This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. The State of Recruiting is brought to you by 24-7 Sports and the Horns 24-7 Network of Podcasts. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on the podcast platform of your choice. We also invite you to listen to the other great shows on the Horns 24-7 Network, including The Flagship with Taylor Estes and Chip Brown and The Longhorn Blitz with Jeff Howe and Rod Babers. Thanks for listening. Now on to the show. Welcome back to this week and uh, this year's new episode of the State of Recruiting, your weekly Horns 24-7 recruiting podcast. I'm Mike Roach, and I'm joined live in my uh, office by Hudson Standish. Uh, this is the first in-person one we've done of these in a long time. I'm trying to think. Was the last one like College Station right after Arch committed? I want to say we might have. I think something during the season caused us to record in person. Because I remember being over here during the season and us doing a recording. But it might have been Talking Texas, so this could be the first state of recruiting. um, Live show. But regardless, not not to raise expectations for us, but every time we're in person, we feel like we have a great show. It is a good show. It's a, it's just a lot more natural. Nobody's waiting on the delay from the Skype or whatever we're on or the Zoom. Um, and we've got a lot to talk about today, more importantly. Um, a lot has gone on since we last spoke, which was, I believe, uh, the week before signing day? I, yeah, I was about to say, I can't remember if it was right after signing day or right before. Regardless, a ton to get through, so... Yeah, I don't even think um, we did the post-signing day. It was crazy because after signing day was Christmas, and after Christmas I hit the road for like what felt All-Star. like two weeks for All-Star games. Um, and a lot's gone on since then. So we're going to talk about two big commitments that have happened since then. We're going to talk about those All-Star games, how the Texas uh, prospects in those games did, and a couple of staff openings um, that the Longhorns have and are looking to fill. Uh, so let's jump right in. Let's start with the freshest news. The 2024 class gets a new commitment, um, and it's a guy that I think we all saw coming since the moment he was offered. But Cy Fair quarterback Trey Owens um, is the guy. You know, I was thinking about this today. Um, do you remember when we went out to Houston in the spring and I said, hey, I've added a late stop to Cy Fair on our list? And it was kind of like we were both like, I don't really know why we're going to Cy Fair, but, it, you know, we, we know that they've got – a couple of kids that Texas is looking at. Um, let's just go out there. And I think we got eyes on, on Trey Owens during that visit. I remember on the drive specifically talking to you about it in the logic and being like, no, I think this is actually a good move because 
we know that the Texas staff doesn't waste their time with QBs if they don't like them. So the fact that they had already tripped Trey Owens multiple times, right? Like mm-hmm. he had been on multiple unofficial visits, and they've seen him throw live in camp settings and, um, you know, just in person. Like we knew that was a large part of the process. It didn't hurt that Landon Rank was also at SciFair. So I don't know. Like it was a, a very good stop and. I think after that day, we kind of understood, like, hey, Texas is going to take a bridge QB in 2024. Maybe Trey Owens makes the most sense in a, you know, six foot five ish frame. We know that he can make a ton of vertical throws. And, Mike, I'm sure you kind of feel the same way. I thought he took a noticeable step up from his sophomore year to his junior year. His production was unbelievable for Cypher. Like, a lot of their games, too. It wasn't traditional sci-fi football, where I think they beat Jersey Village like 61-49, to 49, mm-hmm. which, you know, when sci-fi was really rolling a few years ago, it felt like every game was 10 to nothing. So, winning in a different way under uh, Jeff Miller at uh, Sci-Fair, and yeah, I'm really excited about this. I think that some fans maybe were discounting how tough it would be to recruit quarterbacks after Arch. And I think that this sets an extremely nice floor. And I think that, you know, Trey Owens could be a guy that rises in the spring. I mean, I mentioned this on the board, but we're going to have two major rankings restructurings in the 2024 class before he even takes another snap at Fair. So, like, there's going to be a lot of eyes on him in the offseason, you know, to potentially get in four-star territory, which he's, you know, just right under right now for us at an 88 grade. Yeah, we're talking about a guy that we're going to see in spring football. We're, I don't. I haven't talked to him about his seven-on-seven seven plans. If he plays with anybody, we'll certainly see him play for his school in seven-on-seven. Seven. Yeah, he's going to have a chance, probably at Elite Eleven, to make some noise if Absolutely. he can. If he can make his way into the finals, maybe he's a guy that can raise his ranking there. And even if he doesn't make the finals, Trey kind of strikes me as a kid that's going to show up to the regional events and like really compete there. I think he's somebody that will probably throw at the UC report. Like we're going to get a ton of eyes on him. And, I don't know, just looking at the uh, wide range of throws he can make, I think that he'll have success in that setting. Yeah, and it's interesting. You mentioned the difficulties of recruiting under Arch Manning. And I think, yeah, if you don't have Arch Manning, maybe you're shooting for Dylan Rayola at this point or Jaden Davis or one of those guys. But the fact is a lot of those guys don't want to come and sit behind Arch Manning. And the, the, the other side of that coin is, because you're kind of conceding that, hey, we're going a little bit lower because of that, that's not to discount Trey Owens. We still think he's got a very projectable skill set. Like we said, if he could get into the four-star range, that's another very good quarterback take. It's not Quinn Ewers, Arch Manning. We're talking about potential number one players in the country. Um, and even you know Malik Murphy, who was a top 50 prospect at one point in time. But it is a guy that I think if you look and say, okay, there's a lot of boxes he checks. There's a lot of from a physical perspective, he has everything you want. Um, and I just really like how um, how easy he throws the ball vertically. Like, he's just very clean, very smooth with everything. Absolutely. And I think especially knowing what we know about Steve Sarkeesian and how he kind of handled the Mac Jones to Bryce Young transition, like, you, you can't discount it with Trey Owens. Like, this isn't... Um, other programs where it's like, well, he'll just get recruited over. Like, I absolutely think that if Steve Sarkeesian's still in Austin, like, and if he stays committed to the process, that he eventually could play for Texas. So I'm really excited about the pickup. When we talked 
about what they would do for 2024 quarterbacks earlier in the year. He was somebody that I think we both kind of had an eye on. And, Mike, you wrote about this, but he's the first in-state QB take at Texas. Yeah, it's um, we kind of wondered who it would be, who would have that distinction. And, uh, you know, Owens, I think once he was offered, we thought, okay, that's that's going to be it. And it, he was pretty clear from the beginning of the time of offering, like, this is a pretty big offer for me. Absolutely. Um, whereas Cy Fair, traditionally an AM stronghold in state, uh, basically most of Cyprus is. Um, you know, I think he made his desire very early on that, that Texas was the program for him. So um, adding an arm, adding it a week before junior day, I think is interesting because you've very. got the guy now who can you could come in and, and rally around him. Somebody just asked me about this on the board, knowing that he is coming in in the room he's coming in, does that make him a less effective recruiter? And I don't think it does. Like, I think that guys want to – nobody knows how anything's going to play out today. You know, nobody knows what the portal's going to say. It's just as likely that Trey Owens is going to see significant snaps in his career as any of the other quarterbacks in the room. Um, And so I I think that alone, you know, as long as he's a guy that other guys want to talk to, want to be around – is going to make him an effective recruiter within the class. For sure. And also, I think one thing, too, just getting on board so early helps a ton. Like, most of the recruiting that quarterbacks end up doing is kind of late because they commit in June or July, and then they start recruiting everybody. But everybody's process is already, you know, kind of on their own timeline, right? Mm -hmm. And I thought we saw some of that with Arch Manning this year where he was kind of the pinnacle of what, you know, peer recruiting from the quarterback position could be. But because he committed, um, I wouldn't want to say late, but on a later timeline than some, it I wouldn't say diminished it, but it wasn't the absolute tidal wave that um, I guess the first weekend was, right? So for Trey Owens now, he gets to go into junior days and he gets to have all these camp events where he's kind of going to be known as the Texas guy. Like, I can already see it in my head, him at these events wearing a Texas ball cap and just kind of being the poster boy for the 24 class early on, which is really exciting because they already have, um, you know, Hunter Modden and Jaden Allen in the mix uh, as far as commits for the 24 class. And, you know, Hunter Modden's a top 100 prospect. So, I don't know. I really like the move. It'll be interesting to see uh, what they do down the line at quarterback because now we have a lot of questions answered that uh, might not be brought up for another six months or so. More than anything, it, uh, it it kind of fills in pieces, right? Like a recruiting class comes together like a puzzle. For sure. And the quarterback is generally one of the bigger central pieces. So fills in a piece very early. Uh, the other commitment on the exact opposite side of the spectrum. We got another year. We're just getting started with Trey Owens. Opposite side of the spectrum. Texas bringing in a massive transfer in Jalen Catalan, an all-SEC player, all-American player from Arkansas, who played his high school ball at Mansfield Legacy. I was extremely familiar with him from his sophomore year on. That was a recruitment. Somewhere Craig Niver smiling because that was a recruitment that Craig Niver worked his butt off to get in uh, – while he was at Texas, and um, I think for, for Coach Niver, uh, at least at some point he got to be in Burn Orange, even if it wasn't Niver that got him there. And I think, I hope this isn't cherry too much, we can cut it if it is, but I think uh, Niver too probably is smiling knowing that he did all that he could on that recruitment. Yeah. And that recruitment kind of got lost for reasons that uh, weren't exactly his fault. Yeah, I think... Um, 
we, we kind of documented them in the past. It was just a... I don't think the family gelled with Tom Herman. I think they love Craig Niver, but they did, didn't gel with Tom Herman. And they did with Chad Morris at the time. And so now we come full circle. Catalan, um, obviously a, a fantastic player who's earned a lot of honors, but injuries have racked up over his career. And as they will with a guy who's his size, he's always been a little undersized, but plays the game he does, which is yeah, he's, that's extremely the physical, hard-hitting. And he's done it in the SEC West. For his career, um, I, I think it's pretty simple to say: if Jalen Catalan's healthy, he is a game changer on your back end. And you're adding Jalen Catalan to a defensive backfield that I mean, we talked about on the phone yesterday. I think has a lot of pieces to potentially be one of the better units in uh, the country. And I don't want to go too far and be like, "Hey, DBU's back" or whatever. But when you're adding Somebody who at their you know ceiling is like a borderline All American at safety, next to Jaron Thompson, who had a really good year and I think can get better, and Ryan Watts, Jude Bear, and you bring in Gavin Holmes. You have Terrence Brooks, who I thought looked good in limited action in the Alamo Bowl, plus three defensive backs that we'll cover when we get to the All Star games, and Malik Muhammad, Derek Williams, and Jelani McDonald, who I personally think all three could compete for early playing time. Like, that's where you get to using the portal correctly, where you're just, like, adding pieces, like you kind of mentioned, to the puzzle, opposed to just taking best available and seeing where the chips may fall. Yeah, and this is a, we've talked about guys of, you know, adding depth guys through the portal or adding difference makers. This is a difference maker. Um, I mean, Jalen Catalan is, and not only... On the field, you're not gonna have to worry about him off the field. He's been the most buttoned-up kid, uh, one of one of the most buttoned-up kids I've ever covered. Um, I always used to laugh because he had like this little mustache when he was like a sophomore, and he kind of looked like he was 30 then. Yeah. Um, and he's always acted like he was 30. Like he's he is very much about business. He made this decision because he felt that uh, look, everybody offered him an NIL deal. Everybody offered him something like that. He knows he's got one year to go make the most out of this and elevate his draft stock, and he feels Texas is the place to do it. Um, so I, I think it's a great pickup. Uh, it gives them a lot of instant depth and instant credibility and a lot of options for really what you can do in the backfield um, coming into this year. Yeah, and to me, the fit for Jalen Catalan is similar to how it was in Arkansas and that he's going to be the boundary safety which is interesting because that's what Jaron Thompson played this year and let Anthony Cook play the field. And now maybe Jaron gets to be that field safety. Or who knows how they can configure it. Maybe they think that they're best off spinning Jaron down to nickel and rotating him with some other guys while Jade Barron makes the Anthony Cook nickel to safety move. I don't know exactly how it's shaking. It's going to shake out, but they have so many weapons that they can pick and choose from that it's really exciting. And that's... In addition, that's in addition to the fact that Texas is going to bring back like 10 starters on offense, including young players that could supplant some already like starting caliber guys. So I don't know. I'm very excited for the 2023 season. I do think expectations should be raised just because the past two recruiting classes and the portal just kind of shows that Sark is one of the better roster construction guys in college football. And I'm and I don't feel like a homer or you know anything saying that i think most people objectively would look at it when you have back-to-back 300 plus point recruiting classes and the names that they brought in from the portal like 
And, and the, I guess, too, Mike, you might want to talk about this, too. Like, the internal self-development. Like, just not just not having guys top out. Seeing Keandre Coburn take a step up. Jaron Thompson. On the offensive side of the ball, I thought Christian Jones has made incredible strides under Kyle Flood. And now he's coming back for a sixth year. Yeah, they're getting a lot of the guys back. I think, to and this is purely anecdotal, I guess, in my mind. They don't. They haven't won a bunch of these types of transfer battles in the past. Like, do you, do you understand what I'm saying by that? Like, yeah, for sure. Like they got Ryan Watts, who was a local kid. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it, right? Like all their other incoming transfer guys have mainly been like ex Bama guys. Not a lot of former Texans returning back. Um, outside of Devin Richardson, who's yeah, transferring up, Quinn obviously, um, but like. There's been a lot of Jalen Catalan type guys that pop into the portal, and you think, well, look, they're from Texas originally. Yeah. They should be right in this. And then for whatever reason, they end up here, there. O'Shawn Mathis is, sure. is like a great kind of example of that. Especially, too, considering how Jalen's recruitment went the first time. Like, it mm-hmm. almost just made sense for him to end up at Texas, which is funny because a lot of the national Twitter reaction was like, oh, here goes Texas just, you know, buying these players. And it's like, if you knew his recruitment, this would not shock you whatsoever. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think when you look at the schools that, that got involved for him, too, I mean, Texas wasn't really involved off the bat. Remember, Catalan posted he was in Austin right after he went in the portal, and I talked to Catalan himself and his trainer. who were just like, no, nah, we're passing through haven't really heard anything from I think Texas was all in on Jihad Carter at that point in time. Yeah. And if they would have felt better on Jihad Carter, who even knows? Uh, but the the bottom line is they got the guy they wanted. They got a guy to fill in that role, at least, that they feel is of that talent level. And this program has not been big on going into the portal for no reason. Yeah. You know, they haven't been big on just taking guys to take guys. I think that they want guys who are going to – they're going to be potential roadblocks for the younger guys to get playing time, then they need to be worth it. Something to Mike, we have hinted at it quite a bit, but I remember our show from the hotel room in Houston when we were talking about the Ajay Hall transfer, and we kind of emphasized on the red flags, which some people liked, some people didn't, but they kind of ended up bearing fruit, and they were worth talking about. With Jalen Catalan, we do have to talk about the, you know, Red flag of the fact that he's only played seven out of, I believe, a possible 26 games over the past two years. I mean, this year specifically, he only plays the Cincinnati game. Maybe that almost works in his favor that his rehab will be almost a full year and he can get totally healthy. But it is something that you kind of have to mention when you're talking about his potential in Austin. Absolutely. Injuries for Catalan go all the way back to high school. And that's because, A, like we said, he's a smaller player who plays an incredibly physical brand of football. But also, he's played two ways for most of his high school career. He's played a ton of snaps and uh, missed his entire senior year with a knee injury. Um, So, yeah, it's definitely a gamble on that front. If he stays healthy, they've got a legitimate game changer there. But it's very much a question to ask of, is he going to be able to stay healthy? For sure. I think that's it for me on Catalan. Do you want to take a break before we get into All-Star Game talk? Yeah, I think that's the move. Let's go hear from our sponsors, and we'll come back and talk about All-Star Games. Let's go. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we appreciate our sponsors as always. Um, Hudson, I figure I'll just turn this segment over to you since I was the guy at both All-Star Games. What would you like to know? I know. I'm, I'm upset that I wasn't able to be at the All-American uh, game in San Antonio, but unfortunately, just kind of how the cookie crumbled for that week. I'll start it this way. I think that um, somebody that we're close with kind of put it perfectly that the Under Armour game is kind of like the Pro Bowl. And the All-American game is like the Senior Bowl. Which would you rather start with, Pro Bowl, Senior Bowl? Let's get the Pro Bowl out of the way. It's the one I was at so first, too. The, so. the more, I guess, fun but less football-focused game, the Under Armour All-American game, had a ton of Texas targets, including some guys that made big-time plays in the actual game itself. From practices, what's like the first Texas takeaway that comes to the top of your mind? So, a disclaimer, I only got to see one practice at Under Armour because their schedule could be better um i'll say that uh i got to see one practice and it was kind of it it kind of shaped up to exactly what i expected to um i think that um when you looked at going in it was like okay who do we love here well it's um jonte cook did the things we expected jonte cook to do as a receiver he got open a lot he caught the ball a lot he blew everybody away with his route running uh, Malik Muhammad, incredibly solid in coverage, was one of the better technical corners that I thought there during the practice session. I was telling you they've got that, uh, they call it like the Seeker or something, this uh, jugs machine that's like uh, basically from the Terminator movies. Um, but it has a function to where you'll backpedal and then it'll flash a light and you're supposed to break downhill and then it fires a ball at you. Watching them go through that drill, Manny was easily the fastest processor of that of that. Uh, drill and um, on the same token while Derek Williams looked fantastic he was easily the slowest processor in that drill now I think that drill is geared towards corners who read more uh, you know like that than safeties do Um, and I think that they were still trying to work the kinks I'm not wild about like beta testing these new products for sure during (laughs) during a a setting like that Uh, Derek Williams that was my first time like getting eyes on him in pads definitely looks the part I mean, just, I don't think he measured crazy or anything, but you just look at him and he's built how you want your safety to be built. And probably a guy that, by the end of it, is going to be 6'3", 225, 230, might be playing backer, might be playing nickel for you. Yeah. Going to have a role somewhere. Um, But, yeah, it's just built that way. Um, I thought Sadir Mitchell was a little over what I expected him to be weight size. Um, I think that's just something they're going to have to clean up. Uh, when he gets to campus. Um, but, I mean, obviously, you look at him and he is a man-sized uh, interior defensive lineman that you need at the college level. And then uh, 
the, the other guys I'm, I, I think I'm missing are Cedric Baxter, who running backs don't do a ton in practice. Exactly. Settings. I was going to almost mention with Cedric Baxter, it was more of, you know, in practice for the All-American game, they want to limit contacts, so you're mm-hmm. not getting as much for the running backs. But in the game, Cedric Baxter with the first points – uh, for, you know, team impact. And did it with some style. I thought, like, well, if he scores, it's going to be like a one-yard carry. But, you know, like yeah. a plunge into the line. And it was... Uh, a smart run with the like juke it, at the They run, side. like, inside zone or something? It was yeah. just something pretty base. So they it? run inside zone. He bounces it to the uh, near sideline. And then as he... It looks like he's about to get hit out of bounds. He quickly just decelerates. The guy goes flying. Pretty sick opening score. Yeah, so, um, yeah, they don't show much in that setting for running backs. I, he definitely looks the part. Like, you look at that guy in, in both in check-in and in pads, and you're like, okay, that's an NFL running back body. Now, does he have the skills to match it? I think so. We'll see. Um, and then Deuce Robinson is the other guy uh, that was the Texas target that was there. And, again, you want to talk about an NFL body, 6'6", six, yeah. six, every bit of it it felt like. Um, just looks really graceful and really strong moving around the field. Um, a couple guys I'll mention that just aren't Texas targets, but like I was like really excited to see them. Janelle Aguero, who's going to Georgia, is for me was the best guy I saw there in the one practice I saw. I mean, he was just so good technically. Uh, PJ Adebore is going to Oklahoma. It looks like a nightmare. Yeah. And then um, Nicholas Harbor. It was just like, yeah. I just want to see this guy, right? Because we've heard so much about him. He's six foot four. He runs a 10 200. He runs a 20 whatever 200 without starting blocks. Um, he is a freak show. And he, yeah, he walks by and we're just like, good God. And it, I love, uh, I heard Andrew Ivins tell the story on Oyster Boys, which, by the way, if you guys. Our college football recruiting fans in general, Oyster Boys Radio with uh, Andrew Ivins and Cooper on our network, is uh, the best news show you can listen to. Uh, but a, a newspaper reporter walked past me and Ivins and goes, that guy's going to go in the first round. And we were like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. The, guy, the guy who's literally the freakiest athlete out here, good call. Yeah. Br- brilliant stuff being like, hey, <laughs> the six foot five, uh, 225 pounder that can run a 10-2, uh, pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another thing too worth mentioning: Derek Williams also has a highlight of his own in the uh, under yes. overall American game, picking off Jackson Arnold. Which, you know, it's hard to blame Arnold because the ball gets batted at the uh, you know line of scrimmage. But that's you know something that happens when you're a little bit on the shorter side. But overall, he looked great um, being Arnold, and I thought Williams made a great play on the ball. Um, as far as other just Under Armour questions, who when you do the lobby check-in, were there any guys you spoke to to your like, okay, the mental eval, I might not have been as familiar before, but right now, like, I can see this guy. Um, I know previously we mentioned Sadir Mitchell is kind of like a pretty football-focused guy. Yes, yeah, Sadir was, was kind of not... Cedric Baxter was not what I expected from an interview perspective. Like... Cedric was really hard to get a hold of throughout the process. Um, he didn't, and like a lot of those kids, you know, like then they don't want to talk. Yeah. It's usually Especially an indicator. State too. Yeah, it's usually an indicator they're not going to be very good in those settings. And he was like really warm, really intelligent. Gave like a lot of really thoughtful answers. You know, because a lot of kids, I'll even I'll put this on. I love him to death, but Manny Muhammad shows up and gives everybody the same answers every time. He's just media trained in that way for sure. And. I like I I could have written Manny's interview before he said it, but 
with Cedric, it was like he was really honest. I thought that was like the fun part. That's always the best part about those to me. It was like sure. the guys have signed. So now they're like, okay, let me tell you what's really happening in my recruitment. So when we asked Cedric Baxter, hey, like, did it get crazy down the stretch? And he's like, yeah, I mean, I was this close to flipping to Florida State. And on the Monday before signing day, I finally just decided to stay in Texas. Um, that's kind of always the fun. So talking to him for sure. He had a really good you, – you would enjoy this, this angle because you were there in the spring – had a really good conversation with Jaquez Petaway, who's going to Oklahoma. Like, yeah. And Jaquez is not the best interviewer. I think he gets nervous sometimes with a big crowd. But I was proud of him. He did a really good job. Um, and, and, again, came away with some really thoughtful and, and, and deep answers. So um, those settings are cool. They're a lot for the kids, man. I feel bad for them in a way because you just pack, like, 40 dorks like us in there. And, then, <laughs> like, as soon as – as soon as they come into the room, it's like, oh, fresh meat. And everybody just starts running towards them. And um, it, it's kind of a weird situation. But, uh, you know, I, I guess I was also thankful for the fact that I wasn't on the end of any, like, circus recruitments. Oh, yeah. Like, the Cormani McLean recruitment was the dominant storyline in Miami because Cormani McLean had not signed his letter and then showed up and then wouldn't talk to media. And I was just like, man, I'm so glad. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't have the stress of like, what's Cormani doing? You know, I was just like walking around, going, hey, well, what's still Cormani? Because I'm just curious. I'm and, just interested. And I think we can talk about this on here too, because who knows where the story will have gone by the time that we uh, upload this podcast? But Jade Rashada was there, and um, I think that one is kind of the circus of the moment right now. Yeah, very funny and. <sighs> Man, I got to know Jaden over the last two years on the 7-on-7 seven seven circuit. I got nothing bad to say about him. He yeah. is a good, nice kid who has always been very in, uh, uh, hospitable with us and likes to talk and is respectful. But we were doing a survey on NIL and just anonymously. We were asking basically every kid, you know, what, how much did it affect your recruitment? How many collectives did you speak to? Did you have somebody handling it for you? Stuff like that. And Jaden Rashada, he, the quarterback who had articles written about NI, about his NIL deals during the season, like sat there and was just like, yeah, it wasn't a big factor for me. And then yeah. we fast forward to today as we're recording, and he has, you know, depending on who you believe, yeah, exactly. um, has asked out of his letter of intent because of a failed NIL deal with Florida. So, um, again, that was just me kind of helping the team and gathering some stuff. But, like, yeah, also – I was like, "Come on, Jaden! Like we we all know." Yeah, exactly. So, but uh, I guess that's probably the perfect place to stop and now go to the All American Bowl in San Antonio. I just want to. I don't even want any sort of uh, you know introduction. I just want to get right into what I want to talk about. Jelani McDonald. That's the question. Yeah. So Jelani showed up. Obviously, we've been getting to know Jelani over the last year. Even before Jelani was on the Texas radar, he was a favorite of ours. Yeah, because like we have an episode of the podcast right before they offer him when you went and saw Kobe oh, yeah. Black, and we were almost kind of begging for an offer. Yeah, we were just like, gushing. I mean, as much a, as we can. He's a great athlete, just a and just looks the part. I mean, he he was playing in. Okay, let me let me start from. The, I don't want to get out of order, so. He walks in to check in, and he's just... I love the kids that, like... Jelani was a late addition. He was... I'll put it on the table. He was basically only invited because they wanted somebody else to announce at the game. Yeah. And he was a guy that had an announcement. Um, now, he should have been invited before that. Agreed. But 
it's not to say this was a guy that was on the roster, but I love the kids who come in in that situation. Kyron Chambers last year did the exact same thing. Yeah. And they just don't know. They don't get it that they're like, oh, This now, is supposed to be intimidating. Yeah, like, I'm supposed to be intimidated. They're yeah. just like, he walked in and was the most cocky, but like in a good way, like confident kid in the room. Um, and real quick, can I just give a shout out? Our guy Tim Verghese said this about Jelani earlier this year of like when I'm at a Waco Connolly game, it almost feels like in warm ups Jelani is like stalking the other team and just yeah. looking at him and he's it gets overused, but he's a true like throwback alpha type of personality. Mm-hmm. And he's going to show up at Texas like with the you know, mindset of I'm going to play right away. And there's nothing fake about it. No. There's a lot of kids who try to portray that personality. Bingo. And it is very easily sniffed out. Um, and, and, and it makes sense when you think about Jelani's athletic career. Yeah. In football, he's a stud and a top 100 player. In basketball, he is like the Waco region's best player. He averages like 25 points a game. And in track, state champ. State champ in the yeah. triple jump. So, the one thing, too, I love about Jelani is, you know, we kind of knew what the deal was going into the week. We knew that he had signed. We knew I was 99% sure it was Texas at that point. I hadn't had the full confirmation, but everything pointed to Texas at that point. And, like, five seconds after he walked in, I said, so you're going to tell me who it is? And he's like, yeah, it's Texas, man. Like, you know that. <laughs> like, there was no, there was no, like, chasing anything throughout the week. Yeah. Like, it was just done deal. So... He comes in, he's that confident, and I ask him, I go, what are you playing this week? And, and he's like, I don't even know. I guess we'll see tomorrow when I show up at practice. That's incredible. So I show up the next day, and he's running with the corners. And I'm like, okay, that, that makes sense. I was like, this is tough, though, man. I mean, you got, like, Brandon Ennis and Carnell Tate here that he's going to have to get matched up again in one-on-ones. Like, maybe play him at safety. May, you know, give him, give him a chance. He didn't care. He was... It wasn't the most physically imposing West secondary I'd ever seen, but he was easily, like, the biggest. Like, you would watch practice, and he was noticeable in the corner group because yeah. he was two inches taller and 20 pounds heavier than all the other kids, but moved just as well as any of them, if not better. And, oh, by the way, then he went into one-on-ones and, like, shut down Carnell Tate, who's, yeah. who is among some of the best guys I've ever seen come through that All-American Bowl. What I thought was impressive watching from afar, you would see Jelani McDonald reps. And again, for those who are, aren't as familiar, because I do understand that he was kind of, for especially if you like casually follow recruiting, he was kind of a late uh, guy on the radar to most people. He's viewed as a safety that could potentially spin down to linebacker. So when we're talking about him winning all these reps in, at corner in a setting that favors wide receivers against a diverse group of like physically built wide receivers, right? Like it's so different to cover Brandon Ennis versus Cordell Russell versus Ryan Niblett. Like just body types and what how their games are. That's just such a diverse skill set, and he was kind of doing whatever he wanted. Ended up being the MVP per multiple outlets, including us. I believe on Wednesday. day two. Yeah, it would have been Wednesday of that week, um, which was the joint practice day, which I would submit is probably the most valuable day of practice we have because wow. it's the only day that both teams get together and they have one-on-ones against each other and things like that, and you're not seeing the same guys. If you watch the game, you would know that the West was really outgunned this year by the East. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes in those settings, it's like, well, yeah, he did a really great job in West practice, but who's he going up against? No, he went up against the best of the best and did a great job. 
I was really excited for him. And just the announcement with all the thanks to all the pretty ladies for coming out. That's exactly how he was in check-in. Like, yeah. he was that loose about everything. Like, I, I asked him in check-in, like, do you, have you figured it out? Like, have you planned what the announcement's going to be like? And he's like, no, I'm going to wing it. It's incredible. <laughs> it, like, genuinely iconic. And I understand that, like, maybe not everybody finds it as funny as I do. But just having... Yeah, exactly. And... I think it just shows his mentality, and these are the type of kids that hit. Like, Jelani McDonald, everything about his athletic profile, his mental eval, his multi-sport stuff, just screams that he's going to be, like, a day two or day one draft pick. And by the way, I know we've talked about him playing linebacker. I think that's where Texas sees him long-term. He came in, I think, at 6'2", 197. So already, yeah, you know, he's up there. I think this kid could be a rover. I think he could be a nickel. Yep. I think he's not Harold Perkins. We talked about this. For sure. Back then when we did <laughs> yeah, that podcast. Yeah. I don't want anybody confused thinking he is Harold Perkins, the same caliber of player. But he is a guy that you can use in a multitude of ways like Harold Perkins. Um, and I think that if Texas, if Pete Kwiatkowski uh, can get really creative with him, he's a weapon for you. And I think he's a weapon from the moment he steps on campus. Agreed. Him and Derek Williams both, to me. Yeah. And the other thing that's crazy to me is, like, TCU made a late push. Oklahoma State tried to get back in. I'm kind of baffled that more schools weren't falling over trying to get him. This is going to be a recruitment that in, you know, two to three years, the Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, you know, of the world are going to be like, oh, man, we we maybe need to invest more in Texas because this guy is our type of player. And like we just late complete- evals in exactly. Texas. Yeah. Which, again, is one of those reasons, kind of to circle back to the Trey Owens discussion, Jelani McDonald was not ranked, I believe, by any service until, like, April or May. He wasn't ranked by us until, uh, I believe, June. Yeah. Did not have a ranking, and now I think he's somebody that could maybe inch towards that composite top 50 territory because in these live exposure events, he just absolutely dominated. And it's not like one of those... Okay, well, he dominated. He had a couple good days, but blah, blah, blah. You can look back at his athletic background, and I think he's going to shoot up the rankings. Yeah, agreed. Uh, Especially were, the some of the people that still have him in like the 200s and 300s. There were some other guys there, too, for Texas. Um, exactly. I should mention. Um, I would say, like, Anthony Hill. <laughs> yeah. Anthony Hill was Anthony Hill, and I didn't expect anything less. Again, like running backs, linebackers don't get to do a lot in these settings. But Anthony came in, did his thing, was in you know physical. He was in the right place. I was watching practice with a one of the West coaches, uh, who's a Texas high school football coach. Widely respected. Widely respected. Uh, I mean, I could say his name. I guess it's not private information. Yeah, true. Uh, Chad Worrell, who's at uh, El Campo. And we were watching the seven-on-seven portion, and you would watch the linebackers drop, and they would basically be looking to where their spot is they're going to drop. Anthony was dropping, and his head was just constantly scanning. And and the coach was standing next to me and said, look, he's processing all of this at a much faster rate than anybody else on our defense right now. Um, and, And that's kind of what they echoed, was like, this coach said, I think he may be the number one player in America. Like, if you told me that, I wouldn't be shocked. And, again, like, I don't necessarily endorse that take, but I think that Anthony Hill did what we expected a guy like Anthony Hill to do. Very much a, this is why he's a five-star week for Anthony Hill. And I think that you saw, 
uh, flashes of that, even though they were overmatched by the East. I think first or second drive, he nearly has a pick six against Dante Moore, who is just absolutely dealing. Because he's reading his eyes while he's playing the, you know, uh, curl hook area in zone defense. And then makes a break on the ball and is just, you know, barely over the top of his uh, outstretched hands. He also tattooed some kid in practice yeah. like, on Thursday. Most people, I'm sure, saw that clip. That like they threw an ill-advised swing pass. <laughs> it, uh, it didn't get out there with the urgency it needed to to protect that kid. And Anthony was going, like, half speed exactly. on that run. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say that. It wasn't like Anthony was just being a prick or anything and was, like, just, you know, taking advantage. It was just a football play where it was like, oh, yeah, this guy's just a different cat. And... That reminded me, I'm sure you remember when you played too, of like, that's a hit where the coaches kind of speak to each other and are like, hey, we've got to, we got to get him. You know, the last time something like that happened, they wouldn't, they had to take DeGabriel Floyd, RIP, to the football career of DeGabriel Floyd, I think, although it wasn't trying to make a comeback. he might be at Alabama A&M. Okay, so shout out to him. DeGabriel Floyd in this game was the last linebacker where the coaches start talking about we can't have him in practice because a he's going to hurt all of our guys and b like um, he's ruining our install. Yeah, <laughs> because we can't get plays off correctly. Yeah. I want to think there was another um, God. I think I'd have to go back and look at the class. I want to say it was like him and Justin Flo were the two linebackers yeah. that year uh, in that in that All American game, and they basically were like, "You two are done." <laughs> Because we got to get some stuff done here. Uh, somebody that uh, Andrew Ivins mentioned on Oyster Boys, that and I think Cooper did too, that had a good week, but because of the limited uh, ability of the West QBs especially, didn't get to flash a ton, and that was Ryan Niblett. I thought that his route running was a lot improved. I thought that he Better than that. I expected. Exactly. Much better than I expected. I knew Ryan Niblett was an athlete. I knew he'd get open deep. If you just let him run straight, there was nobody on the field that was going to run with him outside of Zachariah Branch, and he wasn't there. Um, maybe Calvin Simpson Hunt could yeah. run with him. Uh, that's that's about it. That's about it. I didn't think he would have as much nuance in his route running, and I was and I thought that that would cause him to struggle. And he was actually really good at creating separation. Um, he did a lot of underneath stuff. You know, it was a lot of quick outs, a lot of yeah. quick slant, a lot of bubble, but. Um, and, and showed really good hands. Like I didn't really have a great feel for how good his hands were because we hadn't seen him in a ton of camp settings, and we hadn't seen him in um, in a, in high school football. It's not like he was a high volume receiver for sure. Where you saw him get a lot of passes a game, and it was almost one of those things to where if you looked and saw like, oh, Ryan Niblett had a nine reception game. Well, four of those were touch passes, so yeah. it's technically a reception, but. So, I don't know. I thought that was good. And, I mean, overall, to kind of circle back a tad, you have your two of your three receivers in the all-star settings. Jontae Cook arguably is one of the top performers and potentially like a riser from the Under mm-hmm. game. And I thought that considering his circumstance, Niblet really showed a ton. And, then and by the way, DeAndre Moore should have been there and opted out of the game. Because he's uh, enrolled at Texas. Yeah. So, you know, all in all... Pretty good. Uh, speaking about a West Coast guy, I know we mentioned DeAndre Moore. Uh, Tassilia Kana was also at the All-American Bowl. Yeah, came in lighter, much lighter than I expected him to. Was at sure. under 200 pounds. Um, I really would have loved to have seen him come in at like 225, 230 and play on the edge. Now, 
the one thing I'll say for the West is they had some dudes on the edge with by Job and a uh, personal favorite of yours and Yonze Pierre. Yeah. Um, but I, we just didn't get to see a lot from Tassili because he was basically playing the backup role to Sam Omasigo, who was playing like the Sam linebacker who wasn't even on the field all the time. Yeah. Um, now he moved really well. The frame is there, the length, all that sort of thing. He's got to put the weight on, and as his dad said, he's kind of just one luau away. <laughs> it's a, something you mentioned to me as well that I think is kind of interesting. Was you thought that there was a chance maybe that he could stick at linebacker a year until he gets the weight up? Yeah, I think for guys like that, you look at him and you say, well, he's not where we want him to be, so he's basically he's an auto red shirt. We're just going to have to shelve him for a year. We're not going to get anything out of him. And I don't think that's the case with him. Like I, He does have the skill set to play like Sam Backer or something, um, if you need him to, for a year. If you need to get him in on some snaps, if you need to get him in on special teams, he can do those things. Um, he's just not going to be able to give you the edge snaps until he puts the weight on. Which, that's why having a guy like Colton Vosick in the, in the class is valuable twofold, because him having that higher floor makes it easier to where Tassili's not going to be rushed into something he's mm-hmm. not ready for. Yeah. For sure. And then his sister showed up, a national championship winner at Texas and a hero. So. Yeah, you got to hang out with the Connors a little bit. Yeah, so I've known, I knew Tassili's dad two years ago. That's how I met Tassili. Um, so I met the Rayolas, Dylan Rayola's family. They're all tied together from Hawaii. So um, a chance meeting of all of them. And we've kind of kept in contact since then. And uh, we gave the Connors a ride back to their car where they parked like way down the block and um, talked to his sister a little bit, who was, you know, just coming off of that. National championship win in volleyball. I'm really excited. So, and I thought you had some good insight there too of just like maybe the uh, you know sister connection at first was a little bit more of a negative than a positive. Yeah. But it kind of curtailed into this storybook ending where she gets the game winning ace in the natty, and then to Seeley with one of the more beautiful backdrops I think I've ever seen uh, in Hawaii commits to the Longhorns over the Sooners. Yeah, and um, call me crazy, I think that brother-sister duo is going to do some NIL numbers. Yeah, no no joke, absolutely. Um, Peyton Kirkland? Yeah, yeah. So Peyton Kirkland, like Sidier Mitchell, showed up much heavier than I expected him to. But the thing I appreciated about Peyton was, and from kind of what I gathered of talking to Peyton, you know, he his weight got out of control at one point. And I think it was probably during COVID when a lot of kids' weights got out of control. For sure. And he said to me, I know I've made the mistakes with my body. I know I'm going to have to pay for it when I get to college. I know I'm going to have to drop weight. I'm ready to do it. Yeah. And that is like the first step of, the first step is admitting that there's a problem, right? Yes. He measured, I think, near 390, which is about as big, if not bigger, than what Cam Williams was when he came in. Exactly. And I guess that was going to kind of be my point, at least with... With Peyton Kirkland, you know that the Cam Williams model has worked for Texas. Like Kyle Flood, it's kind of what he lives for. It's bringing in these bigger bodies, helping them reshape, and then turning you know them into kind of monsters. Yeah, and so I asked one of our guys who was at the first East practice, after I wrote all the West practice notes, hey, can you give me something on Peyton so I can add it in here, even though I didn't get to see it? And he said he's kind of sloppy. He said everything about him is kind of sloppy. His body's sloppy. His hands are sloppy. His technique is sloppy. He goes, but when you really look at him, there's a lot there to work with if they can get it cleaned up. 
And I think that that's the theme for me with Peyton Kirkland is there is a ton to work with. I talked to a coach on the East staff who said we really expected him to be our weak link. And we kind of figured out early on this is the guy we're going to run behind. We're going to yeah. play him at guard and run behind him. Um, so, yeah, just like Sidir Mitchell, I think both those guys have some work to do on their body. But the tools are there and the, the projectability is sure. there. And knowing that, like with Sadir Mitchell, I, I think something that at least I feel, I don't know how you feel about it, I think there's a chance that Sadir Mitchell could maybe play earlier than people expect because having that big body on the defensive line really can kind of change things. And you can play him situationally, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Peyton, knowing that it's going to be a long process for him getting onto the field, I almost feel like that just helps his mindset, knowing that, like, hey, there's no rush. You're probably going to get two full years before you're really even competing. Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a big positive, and I think that the majority of the Texas offensive line class in 23 probably feels that way, other than, I guess, maybe Jane Chapman. Yeah, I agree. It's a longer development curve for those guys, but that's okay because your 22 class was such a hit. Exactly. <coughs> um, I think the only other guy we missed was Samaji Burrell, yeah, who was, who was late, added yeah. late during the week after an injury. Um, and for I didn't get to see him at one practice because like he came in during the joint practice but didn't get to practice during that workout. The next day I was doing combine check-in and getting the flu. Um, and then you know I didn't see practices from then out. So I never saw him in a practice setting. But I thought for a guy who was a late addition, if you watch the game, he was extremely active. Had to play on the East team um, because it was just – it's weird when that happens because he's a kid from Texas. But it was like he was replacing a kid on the East, so it's number for a number. And um, I think he had, you know, half a dozen tackles or so in the game. He was uh, pretty active just getting getting around and and kind of played to what we – know about Samaje, which is his football IQ, the way he sees the field, um, and the way he can just kind of knife under blocks and, and get by guys and uh, kind of track guys in the open field. I think that's really well said, and I think that, yeah, I was very impressed with his game. However, just some of the fan-based reaction I saw, I do think that there should be a little bit of pumping the brakes. Like, I, yes. I don't necessarily – I think that Anthony Hill – Jelani McDonald, uh, Darian Gallette, like Leona Lefau, like I, I do kind of view them above Samaje right now, at least in, especially because a lot of them are early enrollees, maybe all of them, I can't remember the names I just said, but, um, you know, I, I just pump the brakes a little bit. I don't expect him to be a day one type of contributor. Like some people maybe are thinking. I think he could play on special teams. I think oh, he yeah, can, for sure. you know, yeah. he can do some stuff with him. I don't think he's going to be like I'm betting on Anthony Hill yeah, out of exactly. any of them to, to gain starting spot. Um, I do have to talk about the punt god who's yeah. going to A&M. Yeah. Uh, Tyler White, who we've known for a while, was at Southlake. I watched it. Southlake hit a 54-yard field goal, which isn't even his specialty. So he was um, captivating people in practice. We were watching. And he didn't – he did it, if you notice, the first punt in the game. He went like – lob wedge just dropped it on the two yard line and it just died yeah um but like in practice he's just hitting like 70 yard rockets and then he's kicking these perfect spirals that are just landing and then not moving anywhere they've got like seven seconds of hang time we had legitimate discussions about putting him as a top performer (laughs) and i don't think we've ever named a punter as a top performer i think that Maybe this is too much inside baseball and we can cut it, but 
I think there was even discussions of, hey, is this punter worth maybe a four-star? Because punters get drafted in the NFL. If he's this special of a talent, it kind of merits doing. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how good he was. I easily, I always get tagged with being the guy who overinflates the Texas guys at these games. It's like, oh, look at that guy from this Texas high school. But So I didn't say anything about him. Like, I was watching punt, and I'm like, pretty good. And all it took was, like, everybody else coming over and being like, this punter is amazing. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, yep. guess what? He's from Southlake. So I, I actually talked to, I called Riley Dodge for something earlier in the week, that week. And I called him, and I was like, hey, your punter is, like, putting on a show. He's like, he's pretty special, ain't he? <laughs> yeah. Um, real quick before we move on, because I know we're still speaking of uh, some other people. We have some uh, jobs to talk about with wide receiver and director of high school relations and another mystery job. Yeah. Uh, but is there anybody else from the All-American Bowl you want to shout out? I know that a lot of people were impressed with Cordell Russell. Who's Cordell Russell had a great a great week. Um, I kind of told him, knowing Cordell, like he's going to show up. He's going to catch some amazing passes. He's going to drop some easy ones, and he did. Yeah. Um, but Cordell, I thought, had a really good showing for himself. I just like seeing the the guys that who are freaks nationally that I don't get to see in a normal setting. Like you love Dante Moore, but another guy too, Aiden Childs. The Aiden Childs was him. awesome. Like and getting to talk to him during the week because that's the most fun part. Like a practice, you know, if they're not in, they'll just come over and we'll just you know chat. Yeah, shoot the breeze. Nothing's on on the record. We're just chatting, just getting to know the kid. And he was such a fun kid. Like he'll make me watch Oregon State football Absolutely. after after our interactions. Um, like I've been hearing about this Keon Keeley kid. I've seen him on film <laughs> and it is like, he walks into the lobby. Uh, that, so I saw you mention this in our text thread today and I also heard it on Oyster Boys. That he's Norwegian. I didn't know he was Norwegian. Yeah, exactly. That's he was wild. the nicest, like he came up and we were all sitting and I did, I did the measurements. I did the height weight. So we were the first station they came to. It was me, Cooper and Gabe. And he comes up and I didn't even notice him. I'm just like staring at my phone. And all of a sudden this massive shadow comes over me. And he's like, hello, sir. My name is Keon Keeley. I am here to report to the All-American Bowl to get measured. And we were like, okay. Um, I was like, all right, on the scale, buddy. <laughs> and uh, just to pull back the curtain, nobody measured like they wanted to. But even Keon like, was like an inch and a half short of a, what I think he thought he was. But he was still like, okay, well, that's that's one opinion. Um, <laughs> He, he totally walked that line of being, like, the nicest kid ever and, like, yeah, I'm the baddest dude here. Yeah. And, again, for those who maybe don't follow national recruiting as closely, this is the number four player in the country, according to 24-7 Sports, the best non-QB in the class. And He's terrifying. From Tampa, Florida. And he just basically dominated the week. And I He's think terrifying. I think there is a discussion of, like, Maybe he could break if, up the first three QBs. And if you wanted to name him number one overall, I don't, I don't know that anybody could credibly argue with you. Because, again, you get into this discussion. We're basing this on the NFL draft. If somebody gets a pick that doesn't need a QB and doesn't want to trade, they're probably going to take Keon Keeley number one overall. Kind of like that's the thought this year, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. Uh, the Bears are number one, right? Yep. They've got Justin Fields. They're yeah, probably they, going to take Will Anderson. Yeah, they could take Will Anderson. They could take Jalen Carter. Like that's yeah. the kind of thought process behind some of these. Yeah, he's terrifying. Uh, I know you're a Yon Pierre fan. He was so much fun, man. Like just off the chain, like just incredibly disruptive. Which we were talking about. It's a shame that Kim Keeley showed up to this game 
because Yonte Pierre, Pierre had yeah. the week that Will Anderson had at All American Bowl years ago when Will Anderson came in as a guy ranked like number ninety or something in the country, yeah. and then showed up at All American Bowl and just ripped everybody's head off, and we were like, "Oh my god!" Which is why these live exposure events against good on good competition, especially O line D line, matters so much. Yeah. Right? And Yonze Pierre, for those who you know care to listen, is a guy from the state of Alabama that maybe is a teeny bit undersized. But yeah, brings all of the juice. He's kind of like a, uh, he's bigger, but I would almost compare him to like a Prince Dorba type of tweener that's going to have to play stand up, I think. Um, you're going to have to find a fit for him, but he gets after the quarterback, man, in a way that confounds really good offensive linemen like Caden Proctor, who I saw yeah, him go exactly. up against a bunch. Yeah. Uh, the other side of that line was by Job, who's from Oklahoma City, or from Norman, um, who's Senegalese? Yes. Knows like 50 English words, used all of them during the week because he was the biggest like trash talker there, and which shocked us. Didn't at some point he say something along the lines of like, hey, wait till I learn English, then I'm like really going to be Yeah, it was, he basically had that sentiment. Yeah. Um, we said something to him during check-in of like, hey man, you got the measurables of like, a, like your top five percentile of like NFL pass rushers, and he was just like, I'm already knowing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So and, and we've interacted with Bai for a while too. So yeah. like being kind of he's always been kind of quiet though. Yeah. And like you're like, oh okay. And then he just showed up and was like, I'm he learned some words. Like he he learned like, oh yeah, we lit Yonze and like how to how to That's jump awesome. high five and like use those a lot. But he was a nightmare for so, opposing offensive line. He's going to Michigan State. Mm-hmm. I thought probably Mel Tucker's best recruiting job yeah. of this season. That's also a guy, and, you know, I think that can have a lot of success in East Lansing, but that's somebody that if in a year or two he enters the transfer portal, you're going to see be like one of those top one, top two type of um, guys that, you know, gets all of the attention from, you know, every school. For sure. There were some really good guys there. I thought Monroe Freeling, who's going to Georgia, looks like a freak show. Um, they get, uh, I have some news. Georgia's getting a lot of really good players yeah. from both of these games. <laughs> yes. um, Alabama as well. So, uh, But also Texas. I thought all in all the, the Texas guys had good showings during these weeks. There was nobody I came out of and was like, oh, my God. I'm just, he, yeah, he got exposed, which yeah, it has putting, happened in years. I was about to say, putting cards on the table, there's been some years where we're like, yeah. Uh, yeah, this guy ain't ready for this level. Exactly. So that's really encouraging, and it kind of backs up what we already feel about this Texas recruiting class. And I just, to be completely honest, I think that there's some guys that maybe deserved an invite to either uh, event that didn't get him. Like, I would love to see Colton Bossick in this setting. and I think He almost got one. Exactly. There so. was a point where we were working down the list of injury replacements, and it was like, okay, if one more guy goes out, Colton's in. Which they replaced, um, they called a kid in, from uh, Hunter Clegg from Utah, who actually ended up showing up. He was the guy kind of the head of the list of Colton and had a really good week. Yeah. Utah, by the way, is getting some monsters in this class. Spencer Fano, who's like an offensive lineman going there, was my favorite kid I saw during the week. Spencer Fano had a good week. And then at Under Armour, you had uh, Mikey Matthews, the wide receiver. Not even mentioning they've got guys like C.J. Blocker. And I think they got John Randall Jr., who considered Mm -hmm. Texas for a little bit at running back. Like, Utah is in such an interesting spot where I think they could genuinely win the Pac-12 three years in a row. Kim Rising would probably be a college Hall of Famer because I looked it up and I don't think there's ever been a guy win three Power Five titles and not get in. 
So, like, they're in a really intriguing spot as a program. And I know USC and Oregon are trying to kind of stop that. Not even to mention the fact that Oregon State, I think, was 10-3 uh, and three this year and maybe had a shot at the Pac-12 title. So, really intriguing stuff. Uh, you ready to talk some wide receiver coaching news? Yeah, let's take a quick break and we'll hear from our sponsors. Then we'll come back and talk about that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game full speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. All right, uh, we are back. We're gonna. We're not gonna spend a ton of time on this because I feel like we've written a lot of words. But we'll touch quickly on the staff openings at Texas. Uh, while we were gone, Brendan Marion hired away to be the offensive coordinator at UNLV, um, and Texas is gonna have to make a move for another straight year at the wide receiver position. As of the recording of this, we don't know a ton. Um, it's kind of been a more slow, drawn out process. I think that. There are some names floating around. Uh, Justin Johnson from Baylor was a name floating around. Literally, as we were recording, he was announced as the new Texas Tech uh, wide receiver coach, replacing Emmett Jones, who went to Oklahoma. Yeah. So the carousel is turning. One name that I talked to a lot of people about today was Rashad Samples, and I don't believe it's very far along. I do believe there is a little bit of substance there that if Texas wants to make a push, they can get Rashad Samples. And there is some internal pressure from inside the buildings, coming from players asking, you know, can we get samples on this on this roster? Uh, there is some stuff there. Otherwise, we've also heard that Sark may be looking toward the NFL. Which um, is really intriguing because I think that there were some names that, while we haven't heard, we're kind of speculating that they could be on, whether it was, you know, T. Martin, who's with the Ravens, or Tyke Tolbert. Like, there, there's a lot of guys that we've been just checking in to see if there's anything there. But, you know, right now, not a ton of news, but... As we've seen, it can change quickly. And I'm just at the point to where I think people should trust Sarkeesian and the overall foot, like, to make these staff changes. Like, I think Tashar Choice is one of the better Texas football hires that we've seen, especially considering he wasn't on the initial staff. Like, making that call and somehow upgrading from Stan Drayton, who landed Bijan Robinson, is just absolutely wild. And I thought Brennan Marion did a good job at Texas, and I'm excited to see what he and his go-go offense can do out in Vegas. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, by the time we talk next week, we're probably talking about a new wide receiver coach. I think they are motivated to get it done quickly. Um, but we'll see who it ends up being. I, I'm not going to... I don't think there's a big reason to stress over it. I think Sark has generally made um, really good coaching hires throughout his tenure. And I wrote about this too, and it kind of got overshadowed because I probably, not smartly, put it into the same article as a Jalen uh, Catalan crystal ball. 
So it kind of got looked over. But, you know, talking with some sources around the state's number one receiver and Micah Hudson, a composite five-star, somebody who I think we both agree has a shot to be the number one player in the state Mm -hmm. before it's all said and done. Talking with him, our sources uh, around him, I don't think that the Marion news really impacted his recruitment whatsoever. Like, the people that I spoke with were pretty clear about the fact that Steve Sarkeesian is his primary recruiter, the same way that Steve Sarkeesian was John Tay Cook's primary recruiter for the majority of that, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, recruitment. So I I don't think that there's anything to worry about right now, especially considering that Sark has his hand in wide receiver recruiting as much as he does. Yeah, on the director of high school relations front, uh, Chris Gilbert was hired to be the tight ends coach at North Texas. Congratulations to him. Coach Gilbert had been wanting to get back on the field. Super well. I know, and and deserved it. And he really turned that position on its ear and made it a high-end recruiting position. You want to talk about showing what the ceiling could be at a job? Yeah. Like, Chris Gilbert did so much behind the scenes that he probably should have gotten more credit for. Like, the Anthony Hill recruitment you kind of mentioned, that, like, that was a lot of Chris Gilbert. Yeah. So he went. that went from a, like, kind of a retiree hand-holding position to a, hey, we could have a major weapon in recruiting here. So there have been some ongoing discussions. We had a name emerge um, earlier this week. It was Kendall Miller, who is the president-elect of the Texas High School Coaches Association. Um, we do believe that that job was either officially or unofficially offered to him and that he uh, turned it down. A big part of that was Kendall is the first black president in THSCA history and really wanted to fulfill that role and it was meaningful to him. And I think the other part of that is some guys aren't geared to want to be in college and some guys don't see it as a stepping stone. And a lot of guys don't want to stop coaching because that role gets you off the field. Yeah. And those guys are addicted. Like, I, knowing Chris Gilbert throughout his process, like he was constantly like, yeah, but I, I'd love to get back to coaching. Like, yeah. you know, I like doing this. I like working for Sark, but I want to get back to coaching. Um, and, and that's kind of the thing that you've got to get these coaches over. So I think people look at it and go, wow, I can't believe he turned that down. But everybody's motivation is different. So It's, it's also such a, a change in amount of control you have over your operation. Yeah. I want to talk about being the head coach somewhere in Texas where it probably means the most in the country and you have full you know, autonomy of your program versus being a cog in the Texas football machine, it, it's it's a pretty stark difference. Yeah, and the other thing is, like, these guys have families. They, they have to think before they uproot their kids and life and move them across the state. So um, we have heard some names. Um, we're going to be tracking them. If we get something that we feel is serious, we'll report it. Um, but I think Texas is going to have to go a little deeper into the roster of high school coaches than they thought they might. The other interesting note is if you look at the job posting site, there is a special assistant job posted. Um, I think that when you look at what Texas did with Gary Patterson, they kind of want to expand that. And I think that that's a way to add some names to the, to the staff in a more unconventional way. Maybe that is adding a high school coach. We have heard that, they, they want to add other guys other ways that they can help have an effect on the game plan and things like that. So um, look for some interesting developments there in the next couple of weeks. I've been very impressed about how creative they've been. We talked about this privately, and obviously I wish that we could kind of disclose everything that we're hearing. But, like, Mike, I think that it shows a lot of growth from how 
Texas used to operate that they're being so creative and trying to expand their uh, off-field support staff. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's where they should be, to be frank. So um, anything else you want to add before we get out of here? I mean, we're kind of getting closer to the 2024s really taking the center stage. Is there, like, a name you're most excited to see over the next two to three months? Mm, I feel like we know that, like, we've spent a lot of time with those guys. Like, we love Micah Hudson. We love Freddie DuBose. Um, that, that was going to be one of mine. I want to see Freddie after the... Yeah, I mean, cap. definitely want to see how he comes back. Um I want to see, like, I want to figure out who the next, who's yeah. the guy that we don't know about right now that in a month or two we're going to be talking about every school in the country wanting because he's going to pop up. It happens every year. I, there's one kid that's going to visit Texas, and I probably should have reported it a little bit sooner. He let me know a few days ago, but uh, he posted it on his own Twitter. Ellis Davis from Prosper, I'm really intrigued with. That's a 6-7 offensive tackle that's going to visit for the first time. Kind of reminds me of Trevor Goosby as far as body construction, but looks like he can add a lot more on. That's somebody that I'm really excited to see because I thought his tape was phenomenal. Yeah, I agree. So it should be fun. We'll have Junior Day coverage. We'll have all that coming up. Um, all right. We appreciate you guys for listening. We hope everybody had a good new year. We will talk to you guys next week. For Hudson Standish, I'm Mike Roach.